Paul Kerharski Podcast is brought to you by the Yazoo Brewing Company, celebrating 15 years of beer in Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome into the Paul Kuharski Podcast. Unsurprisingly, I am Paul Kuharski. We are brought to you by Yazoo Brewery, fine beer made in Nashville, Tennessee, available in and around Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I recommend the Hefeweizen. Very tasty uh, in the hot summer months. It's tasty all year round. I don't believe in seasonal beers, uh, so you should drink it every season. But there's something for everybody's taste at Yazoo, and we appreciate their sponsorship. I'm pleased to have another high-quality guest this week, uh, somebody whose work I admire. And if you're not reading it, you need to start reading it immediately. And he is Evan Silva, the senior football editor at Roto World. Follow him on Twitter, at Evan, E-V-A-N, Silva, S-I-L-V-A. Evan, how are you doing? Thanks for joining me. I'm doing real well, Paul, man. It's, it's good to talk to you. I'm a longtime fan of yours as well. Tennessean, you know, ESPN now uh, with Midday 180. I, I've been following you for a long time. Well, it's uh, it's good to get to talk like this. I am. Uh, I think you write the best matchup column, and it's uh, you write it weekly during the season. I guess you maybe bite off a little chunk of it in time for the Thursday night game. But then by Friday, you've got something up on every game. And it is a phenomenally thorough piece of work that spells out. And it's not just for fantasy purposes. It's great for uh, <clears throat> for a guy like me that's playing fantasy, but also that's trying to learn as much as I can about the team the Titans are facing uh, and to keep up with the league. You talk me through snap counts for the third wide receiver. You tell me about nickelbacks. Uh, you give me kind of all the texture. It's not strictly about uh, – uh, the the offensive skill players are going to give me points, but also about the people who will st- stop those people from giving me points. I think it's really, uh, really, really well done. I've touted it for a long time. I-, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the process of how how it evolved and how you came to it. How much time spent on? Yeah, well, it really started to become more popular uh, when Daily Fantasy came out. You know, when people started playing DraftKings and FanDuel because I mean, it was always kind of useful for start-sit decisions in season-long, you know, regular fantasy that everybody plays. But when DraftKings and FanDuel started to get big, you know, there was just much more of a microscope put on what we anticipate happening in every single game. Um, So that really helped with the popularity of the column and, and how much I put into it and how much I started to learn about what statistics are actually predictive of what is going to happen in a specific game. You know, it's, it's a lot more general trying to predict what is going to happen in a season for a team, but to try to really get down to the nitty gritty of what is going to happen in a specific game, you know, the microscope goes, goes much deeper. Um, my, my usual process is, you know, I watch the Thursday night game. I watch like four games on Sunday. I watch the Monday night game, but the rest of my Monday is spent watching all the other games. And then um, at some point on Monday when I'm done, uh, you know, look at, uh, watching all those games, I start to look at the snap counts and look at, you know, who are the Titans playing in their, um, in their sub package, you know, because we knew that Adoree Jackson and Logan Ryan were going to be their starters and that those guys were pretty good. But who was that third cornerback going to be? Sometimes it would be, you know, a rotating 
cornerback, you know, they would rotate that position. But also at the same time, that would be a position that offenses would look to attack. And so we want to know who is in that third cornerback position and um, who is likely on the other team to be running routes at that third cornerback position. Um, And, you know, that's just an example of, of the process that I go through each week. Let's stick with that since you, you brought it up with Adore Jackson and, and Logan Ryan, and now you add Malcolm Butler to the middle. I saw a great stat from Sports Info Solutions, uh, which I'm just becoming familiar with. I don't know if you know them, but they had, <clears throat> excuse me, Malcolm Butler rated really highly when he played a side of the field and not nearly as highly when he moved around. I'm thinking the Titans are going to be very much a game plan team. Logan Ryan's probably going to be the third corner, but they're going to be in nickel a ton. But as to where they line up, I'm thinking it's going to be based on matchups because Adoree is is built more for a certain side of uh, kind of guy, a speed guy for sure. But what do you envision them doing based on what you know to this point and hearing if you hadn't heard before that Butler had done better playing a side, of, significantly better, I think, playing a side of the field than playing a guy? Yeah, so um... – that's, you know, something that I almost don't even anticipate knowing until we actually get a game or two under our belts or maybe even that third preseason game because those starters will play quite a bit in that third preseason game. But, yeah, I expect Logan Ryan to be in the slot. And then, you know, we saw Adoree Jackson travel with the number one receiver at times last year. I don't know, are we going to see that again? Because, you know, the first place that I would look would be Mike Vrabel's history in Houston, and they would leave their cornerbacks just in specific spots. Um, Malcolm Butler is not particularly big either, and if he's best playing one side as opposed to another side, then it would make sense for him to stay on that one side and maybe Adoree Jackson to stay on the other side. I mean, Dory Jackson is that smaller, faster guy who matched up with T.Y. Hilton and, you know, shut him down late in the season. Um, but, you know, it's not like they have one big cornerback. I mean, Logan Ryan, you know, would theoretically be that, but I think he's going to be in the slot a lot because I think that those other guys are outside cornerbacks. Um, but I, my, my lean right now, Paul, and, I mean, you would probably have a better read on this, though, is that I think that they will just end up, you know, picking the spots that are best for Adoree Jackson and Malcolm Butler and leaving them in those positions as opposed to matching up cornerbacks. But again, that's something that I really don't even expect to know until we get a game or two under our belts. Yeah, and I think even then they could, you know, change it up on on a given week if they feel that uh, a different approach would be better. Is there a league trend one way or the other? Do you see that that's another reason you're a good guest here because you can help me look into Titans stuff from a broader league angle. Do you, do you feel like there's a trend one way or the other? Do you see uh, teams leaning towards leaving guys in spots or following uh, the best receiver with their best cornerback or is it roughly 50, 50? Yeah, it's, it's just different from team to team. You know, Patrick Peterson and the Cardinals have been the most famous for moving their guy around from, from moving their, you know, their stud number one around. It, it tends to be teams that play more man coverage are more likely 
to use their number one cornerback um, to shadow the opposing number one receiver, or if, if they just have a guy like Patrick Peterson. You know, it makes sense for them to do that. But if teams are playing more zone, even if they have a stud cornerback, like, for instance, Josh Norman, you know, we do not see Josh Norman traveling ever with the opposing number one wide receiver. At least we, we didn't in Washington. We did a little bit in Carolina, but not very much. And that's primarily, I believe, because those teams have played so much zone and Josh Norman is theoretically like a zone corner. You, uh, when I talked to you initially about getting together to do this, you told me you're on your way uh, to Las Vegas to visit with Warren Sharp, who's a uh, another great mind in, in the business and who's been a, a guest of my radio show, the Midday 180, periodically throughout the offseason. What's a summit meeting with El, uh, Evan Silva and Warren Sharp like? <laughs> we, we had a great time. I got to meet his family. Um, he's a super smart guy. He's got a couple of little kids. I have a little kid, so I can relate to that. Had a great time hanging out with them. Um, and then at night we would kind of talk about maybe our plans for the future. We, we, we he wrote the book, he wrote a book, a, a 2018 season preview. I helped edit it. And we talked about how we could make that book better in the future. Give me one thing that may be, uh, you learn from crossing paths with him or editing his, his book, helping edit his book that maybe was a revelation to you. Uh, if not Titan specific, it, that's fine. But I'm, I'm curious what kind of things come to light out of something like mm-hmm. that for you that you say, Hey, wow, well, maybe I didn't think of that or I didn't think that would be so revealing. Well, he's really banged the drum for several years now for teams to throw to their running backs more often. And this does apply to the Titans. I was looking at that re- at this recently over the last two years under Mike Malarkey and Terry Robisky, the Titans, um, they threw their running backs 86 and, and 66 and 86 and 64 times. And then if you go back and look at Matt, the offenses that have, have employed Matt LaFleur, the new offensive coordinator over the last three years, all those teams threw to their running backs over a hundred times. Um, and, especially on early downs, you know, Warren has really talked about how this is the perfect time to throw a high percentage pass to your running back because on early downs, the defense has in the game their big 320-pound nose tackle. And they have in the game their, you know, their strong side linebacker who isn't as fast and comes out of the game in nickel uh, passing situations. So you're, you're catching the defense – in a spot where they're not necessarily equipped to, you know, they don't have all their speed on the field. They don't have a faster defensive tackle in there. They don't have, um, you know, a speedy nickel back in there. Um, and teams like their nickel backs to be good tacklers. Um, you know, they just, they don't have as much speed on the field. So getting your running back in space against a slower defense is a, a very optimal play. Uh, and, I think, based on Matt LaFleur's history, we are going to see more of that from the Titans this year. And probably the strongest indication that that's coming is the fact that the Titans signed Deion Lewis. Over the past five years, the teams that have thrown to their running backs the most on early downs have been the Saints and the Patriots. And they just grabbed the Patriots running back. 
and they didn't throw to him a great deal, right? Uh, he's a very capable pass catcher, but he was not, quote unquote, the Patriots pass catching running back based on the way they divided up their work, at least last year. That's right. I think that um, a big reason for that, though, is just because he plays in a, a or he played in a backfield where he was essentially sharing targets and receptions with two other guys that, that could do the same thing in Rex Burkhead and, um, and, and James White, of course. Um, so, but I think that in Tennessee, we will see him probably set career highs in, in passing game usage. We'll circle back uh, to he and uh, his running back compatriot in, uh, in just a minute. Um, before we start looking more ahead, let, let's look back a little. Uh, you, you remember, uh, I just read your, your preview, your off-season lowdown column uh, on the Titans, which I'll link uh, in, this, in, in the post at paulkowarski.com that, that uh, includes this podcast for people to look at. You remember the words you used to describe Mike Malarkey and Terry Rabisky's offensive minds there? Uh, something like Stone Age or something? <laughs> Stone Age. What was it like? Yeah. I mean, there was a massive frustration in Nashville yeah. the team went nine and seven it won a playoff game people I took a poll I mean I know a Twitter poll of of somebody with 93,000 followers is unscientific people were more interested at that stage on my Twitter feed in the fate of Mike Malarkey than they were in the playoff game <clears throat> this his offense was the single biggest sticking point. This team came back from two horrible years to go nine and seven in back-to-back seasons, a real breakthrough. Yet all anybody in Nashville wanted to talk about, item one, item zero, was the Mike Malarkey, Terry Rabisky offense. From your perspective, what were you thinking as you watched them kind of bang their heads against the wall with a very old-school philosophy? Well, I remember thinking that the Titans fans kind of had a conundrum on their hands. You know, entering the playoffs, they, they, they just they weren't a very good team. I mean, they had a minus 22-point differential. They were a little bit better than the Bills, who also squeaked into the playoffs with a, actually a minus 57-point differential. Um, but these teams were playing in a bad AFC, you know, and it was like, what, what do you want? Do you – it's almost like you might want the Titans to lose in the first round of the playoffs because that would increase the likelihood that you could get new coaches, but you wound up getting the first round playoff by and I'm sorry, the first round playoff win and uh, the, the new coaching staff. So I think you, you wound up getting the best of both worlds. Um, one thing that stuck out to me again, while kind of evaluating what to expect from this year's Titans was um, well, first of all, looking back at Matt LaFleur's tendencies again in terms of play-action passing, because Marcus Mariota last year led the NFL in passer rating and yards per attempt on play-action passes, but the Titans didn't use that very often. The, and, but the Rams last year, you know, the, the team for which Matt LaFleur was the offensive coordinator, they use it at a, a league-high rate. In 2016, the Rams under Jeff Fisher used play-action passing on 14% of their passes. Last year, they spiked that up to 30%. So I think that Matt LaFleur comes from that school that believes that play-action passing is a way to improve the efficiency of your quarterback, and I expect to see a lot more play-action passing from the Titans 
this season. Now, if I'm remembering correctly, I think that the rationale that Malarkey and Terry Rubisky used on this was was that there was almost a, a law of diminishing returns and that they were as successful as they were with play action because they didn't overuse it. Uh, and I'm curious how that sounds to your ears looking at the entire league and knowing what people can do play action. Uh, I think that at the end of the day, it's, you know, maybe your most efficient play. So until it stops working, you got to keep using it, right? Yes. I mean, I, I think that you're maybe overthinking it if your rationale for not using it is because you're worried about it becoming ineffective. How about let's use it until defenses show that they can make your play action game ineffective? That's a, 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 a I, I'm the same way. I, I, I say the same thing about like running back usage. Like, hey, don't worry about his usage and how it affects him next year. Worry about next year, next year. Worry about now, now. And I would have said the same right. thing with what you're saying about play action. And I, and I think it's fitting here. And I, I agree. I think we're going to see it a lot more. Uh, I'm visiting with Evan Silva, uh, who writes phenomenal uh, stuff. I, I, Evan, is it fair to say, like, obviously you write for Roto World as the senior football editor, but you don't consider yourself, I, I don't want to say just a fantasy guy, to make it sound insulting. There are a lot of guys who are just fantasy guys who are very good at what they do. But I feel like you're, there's some scout in you that's beyond fantasy guys. Is that how you'd like to be seen? I mean, I just think that if you are not analyzing what is going on on the field and you are only, cons- you know, and you're not analyzing how is a team's offensive line, how is a team's defense, you know, what are a team's actual real-life tendencies, then you're not doing your job as a fantasy analyst because all that comes together. You can bring all that together and use that to make predictions, to make forecasts, you know, to just have generally more informed opinions about what you expect to happen with a team, you know, in a specific game, um, in the fantasy box score, et cetera. All right. We're going to take a break here. Um, if you've been listening and you're not a member of paulkuharski.com, this is where I give you a sales pitch and show you why you should be a member of the site, because I'm going to talk to Evan after this short break for members only about each and every Titans skill position guy who you might want to know what they they stand to do uh, in this new system as fantasy guys or not fantasy guys, but just as players on the team that you're an aficionado of. Uh, Yazoo Brew is the sponsor of this fine podcast. We're most appreciative of their support. You should check them out. PaulKuharski.com, $5.99 a month. You can get 12 months for the price of 11. Training camp is starting this week. You'd be insane not to be a member if you consider yourself a true fan. There's no comparable coverage. There's another big change or two coming on the beat at another outlet. Uh, and the one I'm thinking of right now isn't going to make it any better for you. Trust me. Sacrifice one cup of coffee uh, or one cocktail and uh, come join me. You get a membership to uh, members only um, Facebook page. You get to view private uh, P- uh, Periscope and Facebook Live shows. 
Uh, you get to listen to these podcasts in their entirety and you get everything that I write, the best Titans news and analysis in the business. Stay tuned. We'll be right back for part two, members only, with Evan Silva talking Titans skill guys. The Paul Kuharski Podcast is a joint production of paulkuharski.com and Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W dot com.